righty, everybody. Uh, welcome again. I said hi. I'll say it again. Happy, also happy Father's Day. Uh, I know it's a great day. A lot of us are really celebrating that. I uh, got to start to have a little joy from Father's Day last night. We had been out all day um, making deer sausage, which was amazing. And then uh, we, the, my littlest kid, Jordan, the little girl, fell asleep in the car on the way home. So we put her in, uh, in bed when we got home, and uh, she stayed in bed for the rest of the night until I was up at about 11, uh, practicing, rehearsing the sermon, which is kind of my pattern to do it, then a Saturday night. And I hear this little voice, says, Daddy, I want my Elsa cup. And I look over, and my little girl, still in the same uh, beautiful girly dress she had on, and now in high heels that she had found and put on, was had woken up at 11 and was just, uh, it was just nice. It was good to remember what a gift it is to be a dad. And I hope you guys uh, get some of those gifts today uh, if you're a dad. Um, all right, today we are going to keep going in our, in our series on Samson. And uh, this will be week three. We've been in it two weeks. But I want to let you know before we get into it, what is coming next? What's the next series we're doing? And we are going to, uh, if we could back it up one, please. We're going to do uh, a series called At the Movies, Redeemer at the Movies. And this is a series where we really like to take uh, movies that have just recently come out or kind of classics and kind of look at them and, and, and try to uh, see some biblical themes inside of them. Look at some of the topics that each movie works through and wrestles with and brings to the fore, and then saying, what, what wisdom does the Bible have on this? You know, how can the Bible speak to this? And we did it first time last year. It was a lot of fun. And so uh, this year, we're going to do Avengers Endgame. I'm going to kick it off in two weeks with Endgame. Anybody, has anybody heard of that movie before? No, maybe just a little. Yeah, yes. It's like the highest grossing movie of all time. I'm excited about that. And then we'll do Willy Wonka, Mary Poppins Returns in the middle of July. And we're also going to show Mary Poppins Return. So I don't know if you guys have been down to Meridian. It's the new neighborhood on 288. They have an awesome outdoor theater. And so one night we're going to rent it out and, and put Mary Poppins Returns on. And everybody can come out and watch it. So that should be fun. And then we'll finish up with Captain Marvel, which should be great as well. One more thing, on the first week, June 30th, it's the weekend before the 4th of July. Uh, that weekend, we like to throw a huge party here at Redeemer. And so we're going to have the 4th of July picnic after church. If you want to go to that next slide there, John. Uh, if you can find it, if it's not there, just take my word for it. Uh, we're going to have a picnic. We'll have meats. It'll kind of be like an old, uh, old-fashioned church potluck. And you guys can just kind of bring some side and... We have bouncy houses, we get wet, it's a lot of fun. I think there's going to be maybe a dance competition of some sort, so that, that's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys can make it excited about what's coming uh, here at Redeemer. Okay, so let's keep moving on uh, in the life, exploring the life of Samson. Week one, we kind of found out more of who he is. We really got to understand a bit more of his story, and we looked at some attitudes that Samson had, that as gifted as he was, these attitudes really kind of limited uh, him, he limited himself with some of the attitudes we had, and we looked at some where those attitudes can show up in our own lives. Last week, we uh, kind of kept going in Samson's story, like kind of through his wedding and into some really uh, kind of cascading negative events that happened after his wedding, and we got to see how one of Samson's biggest problems was that he was so emotionally driven. And, uh, and it led to some very negative things in his life. And it helped us like kind of look and ask the question, how does that show up in my life, right? And so this week, what we're going to do is um, 
We're going to look at what is probably the most famous story from Samson's life. And uh, and I'm sure many of you guys will will be familiar with it. We're going to look at Judges chapter 16, verses 1 through 22. And this, this one today is titled, Small Steps Towards Big Destruction, which Samson illustrates very well. Uh, Why don't we go ahead before we open up God's word and pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for today, for all the fun and and energy and the gift of ministry that you gave us to do this last week and to invest in so many uh, kids and students' lives. I just want to thank you for that, Lord. We now thank you for this opportunity to come here and worship and to sing your praise and to come before you with our hearts and minds and quiet them and be fully present. I pray that we could do that this morning, Lord but also to, to have hearts that would be soft enough to hear and minds uh, ready to listen to what your spirit would be saying to us this morning. Be present here, Lord. Make us aware of your presence in our lives and in this place. And I just pray that may the words of my mouth by your grace and the meditations of all our hearts by your grace would be pleasing in your sight. Lord Jesus, you are a rock and a redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to pick up the story where we left off last week in chapter 15. And uh, what happened at the end of chapter 15 is, is really, like I said, these cascading events where Samson's emotions get the best of him, and it just kind of goes down and down and down to the point at the end of the chapter where we left off. Samson has been bound up by his own Jewish people, taken back over to the Philistines, is met by an army of a thousand people who want to take his life. And this... this uh, man with incredible strength in a rage, picks up a donkey's jawbone and, and ends up killing the entire thousand people. It's a really kind of eye-opening, um, incredible part of, of his story. And what's really interesting, and this is where we pick up this week, is when we enter back into that story today, at the end of that battle, Samson starts to have uh, some this, this realization that maybe uh, not maybe, that, that, that really he may have won a battle, but he's really losing the war of his life. Like things have not gone well for him. He sees the carnage in his trail. He recognizes that, that, that this is not where he wants to be, and he sees his need for the first time in his life. And for those of you guys that have been here for the first couple of weeks, is Samson a guy that was, uh, is he a humble guy, right? No. Is he a fellow that was easily able to say, I need help, Right. No, like this, this guy, none of that, except in the end of chapter 15, it shows up. Like we see something out of Samson that we haven't seen before. And, and what he does is he, is, is he then says, God, I'm parched. I, 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 am I here to die? Is this all that's supposed to be of my life? And he basically cries out for help. And God, by his mercy, because Samson certainly didn't deserve it, uh, responds to, to Samson. And this is what it says. In Judges uh, chapter 16, or chapter 15, 19, it says this. Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he <laughs> revived. And, and while on the surface, that may look like it's talking just about water and God providing a spring for Samson to drink out of, uh, really what, what the Bible wants us to see is this is like a bit of a turning point in his life. That the, the physical reality speaks to the deeper spiritual thing that's happening in Samson's life where he is finally recognizing his need and he's, he's asking God for help. He's, he, he's where in this re- relationship of trust uh, that he was supposed to be in all his, all his life and here he finally realizes it. 
And what's incredible is, is really what happens next. I want to read the next verse, but usually we just skip over, but I don't want to skip over it because it says this. So he opens up and he drinks, and in the orange it says, Samson then led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So this is, this is incredible. Like we have now spent, it's probably a little under a year uh, on the first two chapters of his life and watching things just go very poorly for Samson again and again. And now in a single verse, it's 20 years of apparent faithfulness, right? Like this is good news for Samson. This is good news for Israel. Things finally get where they wanted to be. And it speaks to this where he got this relationship right with God. Now there's a much different, much better result. And when we read it in the text, it's so easy to pass over it, but it's, it's supposed to catch your eye. It's supposed to be like, what? 20 years and it worked? It's like the headline, Chicago investment firm buys majority stake in Whataburger. You're supposed to be like, what? What was that that I just read, right? Anybody see that this weekend? But uh, I, I just want to pause here and celebrate this because we haven't had a lot to celebrate in Samson's life at this point. And honestly, the rest of today, there's not going to be a lot more to celebrate. So, uh, so, so I wanted to stop and say that's awesome. And that's where we end chapter 15. Samson does get it right for a number of years. And then chapter 16, it begins, I'll, I'll just read it for you. It says this, Judges 16.1. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Sad, right? 20 years, and here, and here we, we read this. And um, I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar with the story of King David in the Old Testament when he uh, ends up sleeping with Bathsheba and ruins a lot of things in his life. But what's interesting is it begins in a very similar way to this. Uh, in 2 Samuel, <clears throat> it says, one day when kings were supposed to be off to war, one day, when David was supposed to be somewhere, he wasn't. David wasn't at war. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And, and that's actually really similar to what we're seeing with Samson. David makes this decision. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. And we watch in King David's life as that first decision, one day he starts towards this path, towards his, his own, one of the worst things, series of events that happens in his life. Uh, similarly, in Samson... It, it, we, we read one day, he heads off somewhere where he's not supposed to be, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but, but it's him walking down this path again. It's him taking small steps in the wrong direction that leads Samson towards a really big destruction where he loses everything. And that really gets me to the big idea that I want to share this morning, the thing that I think, uh, if there was one message that I, that I think this part of Samson's story is telling it, it, would be, it would be this. People rarely mess up their lives through one bad decision at one time. Uh, Samson doesn't mess his life up all at once. Samson messes up his life by taking small steps in the wrong direction over a consistent amount of time. So, so he, he it, what I'm saying is people don't mess up their lives in one decision at one moment. It's very rare. What happens is people make decisions over time, small steps in the wrong direction, that get people to a place where they never thought or ever wanted to be. And that, that, that's how it happens. And that's what, what we see. And I, I don't know, I, I was thinking about this. Um, has anybody ever heard anybody say, 
you know what? Uh, in 10 years, my goal is to be embarrassingly broke, right? Anybody, anybody ever heard that? Like, in 10 years, I want to have so much debt, I need to file for bankruptcy, right? That's my, that's my personal goal. Nobody ever says that, ever. Not, uh, yeah, n- never. A- and yet, um, how many of us know folks who have gotten there, who, who have ended up in that spot, right? We don't make the decision to lead to a, a big destruction. What happens is people make little siri, little steps in the wrong direction over time, and, and that's how people go, go broke. They say, I want it. I deserve it, right? We talked about those attitudes in Samson in week one. And, and we say, I want those things. I want to have that experience. I want to be able to do this. And, and a person then aggressively goes after making money way faster than they ought to. And they get involved in stuff they shouldn't be involved with. They take those steps in the wrong direction. They get involved in a multi-level marketing scheme, right? Or they end up uh, doing super aggressive business ventures that they never should have touched. And, and because their greed is clouding their judgment, they take those steps again and again and again until 10 years down the road, they're bankrupt and, and they're in trouble. And, and they, they did that one step at a time. That's how people end up in that spot. Um, this is a little bit more sober, but I think it's important to kind of illustrate this. Uh, I've never also met a person who said, I've got a good marriage and a great family, and I think I want to mess it up with an affair. And nobody's ever said that, right? Um, but what happens is that people take small steps in the wrong direction over time, right? There's some stress at home or at work. And, and then there is some seemingly new, innocent friendship or relationship that develops. And, you know, maybe it's totally innocent. There's just a friendship there. Uh, and then texting back and forth, right? But what happens is then stress comes and instead of leaning into their spouse, right, as they ought to, or especially if it's at home, or leaning into the right kind of friends, or leaning into Jesus, right, what, what, what's a lot easier and feels better in those moments is to lean into that other relationship, right? And, and suddenly that, that relationship then has grayness to it, and then before a person realizes it, even before they realize that they made a decision, they've made a decision. And, and boundaries get crossed and an affair happens, and it happens one sliding step at a time, right? And, uh, and, and I, I've come to realize this as well. You know, it's, it's every so often, I mean, we'll get a big headline in the news from some famous person that did something that they really, really ought not to have done. It's a big one, big mistake, right? I think about names like Bernie Madoff and Harvey Weinstein and Martha Stewart, right? And whatever it is, whatever they have done, what I've come to realize is if you dig and you learn about what's actually going on there, it's never just one thing. All we're seeing is the last most recent step usually that was taken in the wrong direction over time, and it's just finally been exposed, right? That that, that decision got made a long time ago, and that's because people rarely mess up their lives all at once. People mess up their lives one step at a time. And that, that's really what we're seeing here beginning again with Samson as we enter into this, this uh, chapter, chapter 16. He's headed towards a big downfall. And there are really two decisions that he consistently makes and one attitude that kind of undergirds all of it that I, I just really want to explore uh, as, we're, as we work through the scripture. So um, here, here's the first thing that Samson does that we consistently do too when we're headed towards uh, a problem. 
And it's this, we put ourselves in the path of trouble. We put ourselves in the path of trouble. Samson does it consistently. Let me show you that in his story. Judges 16, verses 1, uh, verse 1. I'm going to read it again. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Okay, something we don't see and don't realize when we read that, because we're in modern time, it's an ancient text in an ancient place, is something that's really important in that is location, location, location. Samson goes to Gaza. It's a really important thing to note because if you've been here for the last two weeks, so you read back a couple chapters, Samson got himself into trouble in, an, in another location that wasn't his hometown. It was Timnah, right? And I don't know if you remember, but he wanders into this Philistine city of Timnah uh, and sees this Philistine woman and says, I want her. And so against the commands of God, he's not where he's supposed to be. Against the urging of his parents, he decides to marry her, wants to marry her. And what happens in the story from there? things just start to go down for him, right? Well, here's, here's the thing about this, this as we enter into chapter 16. Uh, Gaza, do, do you know it's, it's a huge Philistine city? He has, he has wandered not four miles away, which is how far Timnah was from his hometown, this time 25 miles away to a Philistine city. And, uh, and, and it's not just any Philistine city, it's, it's basically the capital city. This is the hub of the Philistines who are a brutal, vicious uh, immoral people in so many ways. And um, so Samson finds himself there. And what does he do in this Philistine city that we've already seen out of him? He gets in trouble with a Philistine woman. He goes to, uh, to spend the night with a prostitute. And what's uh, also interesting, if you move ahead to the next section, so that night ends, there's some stuff that happens. We'll talk about it in a minute. But uh, the next section in chapter four says this. Sometime later, Samson fell in love. He fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Anybody recognize Delilah? You know who that is in Samson's story? If you don't know, let me just say this. She's trouble, okay? And, uh, and she's big trouble for Samson. And um, you, you recognize that, but you probably also, now that we're talking about it, wonder where is the Valley of Sorek, right? You, you, you're tuned into that, that location. Well, guess what? Where do you think, who do you think is in charge of the Valley of Sorek? Is it the Israelites or the Philistines? The Philistines, again. Samson is doing the exact same thing that he has consistently done. He's putting himself in the path of trouble, and, and it's, it's going to get him into trouble. And, and, and y'all, this is a pattern that, like, I think we know it. We recognize it. We see it. Anybody know uh, that there are paths of trouble in your life, right? That there are places that you go that get you into trouble, right? Do you know what those are for you? It's actually really important to know what those places are for you. <clears throat> and, and, and honestly, uh, there's some really simple ways to deal with it. If you've got a place of trouble, you, you simply don't go there, Right? It's not rocket science, right? To whatever degree you can, don't go there. And, and you know, um, sometimes it's hard. Like so, sometimes we know that a place of trouble for us is alcohol, right? And so what's the simple answer to that? You, you don't go to that party where you know it's going to be a problem. You certainly don't keep a stash in your house somewhere just for some reason that you're trying to rationalize and make sense of. Uh, that's an easy one to avoid. Uh, you know, if 
if you have trouble looking at stuff on a computer that you shouldn't, here's a simple thing. Don't go on the computer when nobody else is around, right? Like, like the, the answer is simple. Sometimes it's more complex when there's like a relationship and the path of trouble is really a person who takes you down the wrong path, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I had a friend uh, a couple years ago who <clears throat> was a much different person as an adult than he was growing up in his childhood. That's because Jesus had gotten a hold of his life and changed him in so many ways. And he had to go back home. And I remember him being really scared and upset about this. And I was like, I don't understand. You're just going home, right? What's the big deal? Or he said, home for me is, is a place of trouble. I did a lot of stuff and had a lot of friendships and relationships back there that I don't, I don't, I'm a different man now. I don't want to walk into that. And, uh, and he knew that was dangerous for him. And so he had to tell some of his friends when he went home, I, I, can't, I can't hang out. The, this has not gotten me to good places. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. And if this is where we're going to go, I can't, I can't go there. And man, I, I appreciate that. I think that if it's going to lead us to the path of trouble, uh, we need to stay out of it. It's, it's really, really simple. I wish Samson would have understood that. Okay. <clears throat> uh, one other thing to note when, when we're talking about this is, you know, your path of trouble isn't neutral territory. Sometimes we think about a place as a place, it's material, it's just a location. I don't think that that's what is actually the reality here. I think that the place of trouble in your life is enemy territory. There are people and forces in those places that want to take you down. Samson actually illustrates this really well. So these Philistines, right, he's been at war with them for quite a while. And even though 20 years have passed since this battle, they are out for his blood they still are ready to take him down. And so in the first verse, the moment he steps into this city of Gaza, guess who finds out that he's there? Guess, guess word gets out, Samson's in Gaza. And so these Philistines that very night are, are grouping up, they're getting an army together. And if you read those next two verses, they're planning an ambush to take him, to kill him when he wakes up the next morning and goes. And by God's grace, Samson wakes up before that and is able to walk out. He gets lucky, but guess what happens? The moment Samson shows up in the Valley of Sorek and has this relationship with, with Delilah, those same Philistine guys come to her and they're trying to take him down, right? They want to see him dead. And, and I think the thing that, that, that we got to realize is maybe, you know, we don't have the people like the Philistines coming after us and we don't have that, the same nature of the enemy, but man, we still have an enemy. The Bible says it's prowling around like a lion and would love to see us not be who God wants us to be. We'll do everything it can to take us down. And, and if we walk in the path of trouble, it's not neutral space, right? The, the devil uh, is, is, is gladly going to do whatever he can, in addition to our own desire to sin, to bring us down. And we may walk out of it one time, right? We may walk out of it the next time. We will not walk out of enemy territory and the path of trouble forever without paying a price. Um, and I think Samson shows us that. Here's the second thing I think we see in his story, the second small step towards destruction Samson takes regularly, and it's this. We rationalize the same old sin. We rationalize the same old sin that, that we struggle with. I want to keep reading here. Uh, Judges 16, 4 through 22 says this. It's Delilah's story. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, 
See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. That's what I was talking about earlier, right? Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Samson doesn't have his own stuff to worry about now. He's got Delilah after him who's incentivized monetarily to get it out of him. And so Delilah says to Salmon, Salmon, <laughs> Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And what is really interesting, if you, if you follow the story in the scripture, I won't read all of it, but because it's long, there's this back and forth here then between Samson and Delilah and her trying to get to the bottom of his strength to, 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 to get the money, right, that she's wanting to give. And, um, and so here, after the first time she asked him in the text, Samson says to her, um, <clears throat> she says, what's the secret of your strength? And Samson says, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. That's what he tells her. And so Delilah's like, okay, right? You know, and she gets the fresh bowstrings from these Philistine guys who want Samson dead, and she ties him up. I think he's awake at this point. And, uh, and then she tests it. She yells, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And, uh, and Samson, thinking that maybe that's true, uh, has lied to her. So he busts out of the ropes, and he goes free, and they're, they're not going to dare come after him while he's at full strength. And, uh, and it's like, that's the first time this happens, right? And, and uh, at this point, it's like, this is what I don't understand why it continues to happen. Uh, but uh, Samson really likes what he's got going on with Delilah. He likes that same old sin. And so he, uh, he, Delilah's like, Samson, you lied to me. And Samson's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Delilah says again, now quit making a fool of me. Tell me, tell me the, the, the secret to your strength. And so this is what he says the second time. If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. And so Delilah, again, is like, okay, right? And she gets new ropes from the Philistines. She ties him up. She yells, the Philistines are upon you. And he breaks out of them and goes free. And you would think that would be the end of it. But Samson really liked the thing that he had going on with Delilah. And he thinks that he's just going to keep going free, right? He thinks he's going to keep getting away with it. And so she says, quit making a fool of me and lying to me. And she says, tell me again the secret. And then this is what Samson says. You weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric of the loom and tighten it with the pin. Then you'll, you'll get my strength. And firstly, where does he come up with this stuff, right? <laughs> like, and, uh, but I, I guess then what happens, and we don't know the details, like she ties his hair into one of these giant looms. And I don't, I don't know how, like, if she, like, had him fall asleep on the loom or he was on the bed and she grabbed his hair and, like, put it in there. I don't know. Anyways, uh, again, once she gets him tied into the loom, she yells, Samson, the Philistines are coming to whoop you. And uh, Samson busts out of that loom. And you would think that he would be done. But he likes this thing he's got going on with Delilah. And he continues to rationalize the same old sin. Man. Um, and you know, it's not that hard to understand why he does this, right? And I think if we look at our own lives and the way that sometimes we are tempted 
to rationalize the same old sin, we can see some of the stories and things that we tell ourselves, right? That, that enable us to keep getting into these places uh, that are not good for us, right? I think simply here, it's this uh, for the first one. I've been alluding to it. Samson loved his sin. Sometimes one of the ways we keep rationalizing the same old sin is because we love it. We don't want to stop it. And we love it certainly more than we want to be obedient. And, and so we just keep doing it. And, uh, and, you know, we might say, hey, this is just my one thing. You know, this is just something that it's just me. I'm never going to get over this. I'm just, I'm just going to do this, you know. Uh, you know, an, another way that I think we rationalize it is by trying to tell ourselves it's private. Like, stay out of my business. This is my thing. It's not hurting anybody, right? If nobody knows, what's the big deal? If it's not hurting anybody, right? That's, that's another path that we can go down in our minds. Uh, sometimes we rationalize by saying it's common. Everybody struggles with this. Everybody's got this issue. Everybody's dealing with this. You know, why, why do I need to be perfect, right? Uh, that's a narrative that sometimes we work through in our minds. And then sometimes we rationalize the same old sin by lying to ourselves and telling us ourselves that it's necessary. I need this. I've got to do this. This is just how I cope. This is just how I've been. This is just how I need to deal with this, right? And, uh, and all those ways are ways that we do it. You know, I, I, somebody shared with me an interesting article not, not too long ago that was titled this, A Pump and Dump Kind of Day how wine mom culture shifted from funny memes to unhappy hangovers. And uh, it was actually on Good Morning America, an article where this woman named uh, Yvonne uh, shares kind of what happened in her own life. And it started with her just enjoying uh, innocently uh, a glass of wine in the evenings after her kids went to bed. It was just a simple way to relax, right? A lot of people do this. There is... um, I don't believe drinking it is a sin, right? I think that that's a fine thing. And uh, uh, over time, though, it, what was innocent became not innocent. It became a problem for her. And she found herself uh, at, at dinner at every night. She would pour herself a glass of Cabernet with the kids. And then by the end of the night, the whole bottle would be gone. And this would repeat day after day after day until she'd be waking up with hangovers She'd realize it started to affect her in her, in her work life, and, uh, and, and she realized she had a problem, but she never voiced it, right? She never, she never uh, said it out loud. Uh, she actually just kept rationalizing the same old thing that she knew had become a problem, and she said to herself this, I needed an outlet, and I needed a way to escape. It seemed like a perfectly healthy and almost chic way to decompress. I knew a lot of my friends we're doing the same thing. You guys kind of hear some of those rationalizations we talked about in there? So she was headed down the wrong path. She kept rationalizing it until, by God's grace, one day she was getting another drink. I think it was even before dinner. And uh, one of her kids was there and saw her and looked at her with a tinge of disgust and said, Mom, why? Why are you getting another glass of wine? And that, for her, just, she, it just gave voice to it. She realized what was happening, what was going on, uh, where she had gotten, and, and she thought this was her realization. She said this, oh my God, is this how they're going to remember me, my kids, with a drink in my hand? 
right? And, and by God's grace, with that realization, she started to quit, right? She realized she had become an alcoholic, and she decided to give it up, give it up and she started doing the hard work of getting sober. And this story has a happy ending. She celebrates. It was like when this thing aired, it was like 500 days of sobriety at this point in her life. And, uh, and she was no longer rationalizing the same old sin. Um, and, and you know, uh, the attitude that enables us to do this, that kind of gets underneath the surface, is, is also devious, and we never give voice to it. But I think this is the assumption that we're making, and it's, it's this. We don't believe our sin will really cost us. That's the other way we keep doing it. When we don't believe it's actually going to cost us, in the end, like it really is innocent. It really is just me. It's not ever going to catch up with me. And, uh, and that is definitely an attitude that takes us towards big destruction and small steps. That's what happens with Samson. Let me read with to y'all the rest of his story in Judges chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 16. With such nagging, she, Delilah, prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would have become as weak as any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. And after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to, the gr- to grinding grain in the prison. So that is, that's it. That's the big destruction. That's what we read. This is the low point in Samson's story. And he, he's, we know how he got there, right? We see it. He put himself in the path of trouble. He kept rationalizing the same old sin He assumed it wouldn't ultimately cost him. He's taken these small steps, and now he's finally seeing the big destruction uh, in his life, and and he's getting this lucid look at at where it was going to take him finally. Ironically, he can't even see how far he has fallen because they've taken out his eyes. And, um, you know, when we did Samson's story, uh, one, I don't think I realized how heavy it was. I was like, let's do Samson. And then, like, <laughs> whoops, uh, there, it's just a heavy story, but it reminds me that sometimes in the Bible, we learn by learning what not to do, right? This is a cautionary tale that, that, that God, by his grace, has given us and helped us to understand so that we don't have to head down this same path, right? And, and I just, I said this last week in a different way. I want to say it again today. If you see yourself in Samson's story in some way, especially if, if the Holy Spirit, if, if there's a voice that's saying, you got to deal with this, deal with it. Okay? Turn around, repent, turn from your sin, ask for God's grace. This is the good news. God doesn't want you to go there. 
He immediately, the moment we turn, God is gracious and willing to, to, to receive us and to help us walk into a new path, right? And, and gosh, uh, I wish Samson would have done it. And I know a lot of people who, before they hit this low point, did do it and saw God change their lives. They repented and experienced something different. And that's what God wants for you. Um, but let me also say, if you know this low point, right, I think the good news is, uh, God's not done with you either, right? That there is grace. We are forgiven. God's love never changes for Samson. And, and what I appreciate about this story, and especially this chapter, it doesn't end here. There's this beautiful little verse at the end of this chapter that says there is still hope, that, that says this. But the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. What is that? That's the Bible saying God's not done with Samson yet. He's down. He may be out. He may have lost it all. But God was doing something in his heart and mind, and, and he's changed. And uh, I hope you can come back next week to kind of see where this story ends up. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for <clears throat> just your grace and your mercy and how you speak to us so clearly uh, in so many ways. Lord, you've spoken to us through the life of Samson. I know that your spirit speaks to us uh, personally right here and right now. And Lord, if there's a, a need in a way uh, that we need to turn and repent and change, Lord, and trust and walk and share the truth, Lord, I pray that we would be honest. I pray that we would be strong enough to be honest and to, to start the journey of getting well, Lord. Uh, and Lord, I, I know that you'll meet us with your love and your grace. And I pray that you would do that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.